Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, resumes hour number two, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is, well, it's actually down. I don't know why my Outlook isn't opening up. I mean, I have been told that my Outlook is not very good, but I don't know why. I I probably got a reboot, but I have other tabs open, so... um, all right, so you'll just have to call or hit me up on the Twitter machine, at Pete Callender. Anyway, last hour going over uh, the last little bits of the piece in, uh Invasion of the Fact Checkers by Jacob Siegel at Tablet Magazine. But um, look at the way, if you're watching any of the coverage, I, I went over this the other day, remember the, the felon voting lawsuit, right? This This ruling that just got conjured up by some lawyers in robes that apparently a decades old correction or uh, update, I should say a decades old update to a centuries old law was unconstitutional and racist. And look at the coverage that we get and these so-called fact checkers that don't seem interested in actually checking facts in the stories. For example, this is uh, now. This is from a press release. This comes from the Senate Republicans in the General Assembly. The North Carolina Senate Republicans put out a statement. They've got a quote here from Senator Warren Daniel. He's a Republican from Burke County. He's a lawyer. I've interviewed him, and they say legislative leaders now have filed a motion to block that ruling, which tosses out the law that says felons cannot vote until they have completed the term of their sentence and. That includes parole, probation, or any other kind of supervised, uh, I was going to say visitation, but that's not what it is, but any kind, of su- any kind of supervised sentence, right? If you are under supervision of some kind, then you're not allowed to vote because that's still part of your sentence and you're not allowed to vote if you are serving a sentence. Okay. The decision from a divided three-judge panel came just as absentee voting started, even though judges had more than six months to issue the written order. So the timing is automatically suspect on this. The fact that you waited so long to issue an an oral ruling, and they didn't even publish anything. It was just oral. They just said, this is what what we're going to do. And they do it just as absentee voting starts. What does that do? It jams up the courts because there's a thing called the Purcell principle where higher courts don't get involved in uh, trial court decisions and throwing out rules of elections if you get too close to an election. Well, yes. okay. unless, of course, it's to, you know, rewrite a lot of the laws in order to help get absentee ballots, you know, just dumped all over the uh, nursing homes and such for Democrats to uh, to work on. But uh, the timing is suspect. To wait that long, it tells me that you guys, these two judges, waited in order to jam up any appeals to make sure that, sorry, we can't hear these cases because we're just out of time. I mean, the election's already underway. What could we do? This isn't the first time that the court has disrupted election procedure when up against a deadline. The press release goes on to state in late August 2021 when the same three-judge panel issued its verbal order entitling about 55,000 felons to register to vote. It did so just days before the State Board of Elections needed to finalize material for the 2021 municipal elections. 
So they, these same judges did this before, like a year ago. Same case. This week's ruling again puts a time crunch on an appeal before the upcoming election as well. They're trying to run out the clock. They're trying to run out the clock. Senator Warren Daniel, he said that this is uh, an unrivaled attempt by judges to legislate from the bench. The North Carolina Constitution prohibits felons from voting unless the General Assembly passes a re-enfranchisement law. Re-enfranchisement, right? So you've heard of disenfranchising when you don't get the right to vote. A re-enfranchisement is when you get the right back. You get it restored. The, The state constitution says felons don't get to vote. In 1973, state lawmakers passed a law that said, here's how you get the right to vote back. These judges just threw out that law. Everybody think this through now. What what does that mean? If the Constitution says felons can't vote, and there was a law that came later that said, no, here's how you can get the right to vote back after you're done serving all of the terms of your sentence, and the court tosses out that second law, What remains, everybody? That's right. The original prohibition on felons voting. This week, a three-judge panel struck down that law and described it as racist. That ruling means North Carolina does not have a law allowing felons to regain their right to vote. But, but, instead of just striking down the law, oh no, these two judges, they were very, very smart. They wrote a new law allowing all felons not currently serving an active sentence to register to vote. Yeah, they just said, okay, you know what? This is what you should do. This is what the law should be. That's very helpful. It really does. I mean, it eliminates the need to have to, you know, go through committee, get experts and all that. No, no. It's so much better to have just these two lawyers with the wardrobe change tell us what law should be. What could go wrong? This ruling substitutes the preferred policy of two county judges for state law. All right couple things. Where are the fact checkers? No pro-clutching editorials about endangering the democracy. No condemnation from the North Carolina political pundit class or the moral preening Democrat water carriers in the press. None of that. Not seeing any of that. These judges tossed out that 1973 law. You know who you know who wrote the law? I mentioned this the other day. Democrats did. And you know who led the effort? Three black lawmakers. Three black Democratic lawmakers. I guess they were racists. Oh, and you know who else endorsed it? You know who else pushed for the law change at the time? The NAACP. Think about it. Because the Constitution said, if you're a felon, you don't get to vote. And so at the time... These black Democrat lawmakers, along with the NAACP and the rest of the legislature and the governor, changed the law and said, unless you serve the rest of your sentence. Because even then, this was before Democrats went completely nuts. Back then, they said, hey, you know what? If you're convicted of a of a crime, you have a sentence. You should fulfill the whole term of the sentence. So parole, probation in this way, when you're done, then you get to vote again. But now we are to believe That's racist. Mickey Mishaw, black Democrat lawmaker, led the effort. Apparently, 
He's been a racist all this time. Who knew? Who knew? News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Got a tweet from It's All a Distraction who says, How can judges keep going against the state constitution and not be removed? I don't know. That's a good question, and uh, I do wonder if we get to a point where people inside the uh, legislative branch of government and maybe even in the judicial branch of government finally decide, you know what, this is, this is enough. We saw a little bit of that in the Leandro case with the removal of the Union County retired, semi-retired judge, David Lee. In fact, let me go do that. So... Because I mentioned this the other day, too. There's way more to this story, though. Um, Superior Court judge who had ordered state leaders to transfer $1.7 billion to increase funding for North Carolina's public schools was removed from that case. It's called the Leandro case, named after the family that sued, the kid who sued, saying that the state wasn't funding education at an adequate level to meet its constitutional requirement to do so. And this was like 40 years ago. So once again, Democrats were in control when they got sued by this family. And then everybody started joining the lawsuit, everybody being school districts. I think at one point, Charlotte Mecklenburg may have been a plaintiff and a defendant in this case, because that's how crazy it has gotten over the last 40 years. People jumping in, getting out. And, oh, except for the General Assembly. Yeah, the legislature is not named in the lawsuit. And so when this judge, David Lee, a registered Democrat from Union County, which, by the way, the North Carolina political press had to be dragged, kicking and screaming to acknowledge that Lee is a Democrat. They assumed, I remember when this was only like a year ago, they assumed he was a Republican because he came from Union County. Yeah. There's a Union County, and at one point they literally put in there, I think it was WRAL or the News and Observer, I forget which publication, but one of them actually identified him as a Republican, and he's not. Democrat, registered Democrat. That's how he got put in charge of the case, because he's a Democrat. The previous judge who had made all of the other rulings, that was Howard Manning Jr. He was a Republican, but he had to retire, which is what happens in North Carolina when you... uh, Turn 72, they put you out to pasture. I mean, on the judicial side, not on the legislative side or the executive side. No, no, no. You can keep you can keep messing around in GovCo for as long as you want after age 72. But but on the judicial side, you got to retire. And I'm not here to debate whether or not that's a good rule. I just I find it interesting that only one branch has to basically get age limited out. Right. So. The new North Carolina Supreme Court Chief Justice, Paul Newby, issued a court order naming fellow Republican Michael Robinson as the new trial judge overseeing the Leandro case. And Robinson replaces David Lee, who had accused Republican lawmakers of failing to provide students with the opportunity to receive a sound basic education. By the way, Robinson is a Cooper appointee. Robinson was. He's a Republican, but he got an appointment from Cooper. For, some, uh, for his uh, judgeship. Newby gave no reason for the change, only saying that he has the authority to make the switch. 
The news of the change in judges was first reported Tuesday by the Carolina Journal, who, by the way, has been eating the lunches of the WRAL and uh, News and Observer newsrooms up there in Raleigh as of late. Yeah, Dallas Woodhouse and the sources that uh, others in the operation have developed inside the uh, judicial branch, they have been... They've, uh, they've been doing stellar work. They really have. He's got another one I was just looking at right now. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going to bring it to you because I want to read through it first and do my own sort of, you know, processing on it. Anyway, the news of the change in judges, first reported by Carolina Journal, uh, the order was issued the same day that the North Carolina Supreme Court also agreed to hear an appeal of the uh, judge's ruling. So this... Democrat judge from Union County in this case said you have to fund education at an additional $1.7 billion. You have to add that in. How did he come up with that number? Well, they went off and hired, they being the plaintiffs and the defendants, they they got a consultant with the uh, permission of the court. and they, It's called West Ed. They're out of California. And they come back and they say, Here's the solution. They get like this big report. It's one point. It's actually more than it's like six billion dollars or something over the course of several years. And the first installment of like one point seven or whatever it was, one point seven billion dollars. And you'll never guess what it should be used for. No, no, no. Not sending kids to better schools. No, no. Teacher pay raises, more administrators, more counselors, more personnel. You got to grow the GovCo model. Don't you see? The government school can only get better if it gets bigger. That's how this works. So the report comes in and David Lee says, I agree. Oh, and by the way, so too did all of the Democrats in the General Assembly. They were all on board with the West Ed consultancy uh, recommendation as well. And the Republicans were like, no. So David Lee created a constitutional crisis by ordering the comptroller to take the money out of state coffers and just spend it. And the comptroller's like, um, that's unconstitutional. I'm not doing that. That created the constitutional crisis. It brought in the state Supreme Court. That's where it's kind of been hanging. And now Newby replacing David Lee can upend all of that. I'll tell you how in a minute. Mitch Kokai over at the Carolina Journal gives this update on the Leandro case, the removal of the judge. So uh, David Lees was was the previous judge. Uh, Last November, he ordered state officials to transfer $1.7 billion out of the North Carolina Treasury, uh, supposed to go for education based on the consultant's report. The plan is designed to settle a quarter-century-old legal dispute. Everybody involved is... uh, Everybody involved agreed. Lee endorsed the plan, the judge. But there was a key problem. The deal did not include the General Assembly. State lawmakers never signed off on the plan or the spending. They appropriated no money. And that's why the state controller, Linda Combs, asked the Court of Appeals to block the the judge's order, which it did. They struck down the spending order, saying that the judge can't appropriate money. That's the role of the legislature, as defined in the Constitution. Advocates of spending more money on the teachers, uh, I'm sorry, the the children, 
uh, they turn next to the state Supreme Court, where Democrats enjoy a majority. They ask the justices to ignore the initial appellate ruling and reaffirm Judge Lee's plan. So the Supreme Court agreed to take up the case a couple of days ago. But first, it says it wants more input from the trial court. And that's where the new judge, Michael Robinson, enters the picture. Kokai says by late April, he has to decide whether the new state budget enacted after Lee's order should alter the $1.7 billion plan. In other words, Robinson can reassess the state's education funding picture. And here's how you do it. You say, hey, the budget wasn't approved when the previous judge made his order. But since then, a budget got approved. And that budget increased education funding. And that budget was bipartisan. And that budget was signed into law by the governor. So the argument that Judge Lee relied on is null. It's moot. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Supreme Court's December 2020 ruling in Cooper v. Berger two years ago. Six to one ruling. You know what it said? Lawmakers control state government's purse strings. You know who wrote the opinion? Democrat Justice Sam Irvin. He said, the appropriations clause states in language that no man can misunderstand that the legislative power is supreme over the public purse. And so Robinson can just quote that. Robinson does not need to blame Lee for making a mistake. This is the way he can, you know, not damage the reputation. No need to, you know, make a big deal about it. He could just point to the state budget, say he got new facts in the case. And he said these facts can let us pivot away from the uh, the remedy that the previous judge used. And Mitch Kokai says that this is a good opportunity. It's a good off-ramp, and Judge Robinson should take it. Now, over at the the Carolina Partnership for Reform, a conservative organization, they posted a piece the other day, which part of the state budget will judges cut? And this is a fair question, very fair. The legislature has a, um, it's called the Fiscal Research Division. And they're nonpartisan, they, they crank out, it's almost like the Congressional Budget Office, right? They, they crank out reports on spending and uh, potential fiscal impacts of various policies, that sort of thing. And they can be assigned to go look at something. This was the legislature asked them to do uh, an, an analysis of the film tax credit some years ago. And that's why they got rid of it, was because the, the tax credits were proven to actually cost North Carolina money. Yeah, it cost us money. So the Fiscal Research Division says that there's just $3 million in unspoken money left in the state budget, okay? That means the General Assembly divvied up almost every penny of the state's expected revenue. They're about three, they got about $3 million just laying around out of a budget of, what, $25 billion annually. But the judiciary, depending on how this whole Leandro case goes, they're going to decide whether to order $1.7 billion out of the state treasury, right, to fund essentially Democrats' budget priorities. And again, this state, uh, the same state Supreme Court had just ruled 15 months ago that the power of the purse is exclusive to the General Assembly. But th- so they'd have to overturn their ruling from 15 months ago, their opinion from 15 months ago. But let's just assume that they can Calvin Ball that thing and find out a way to 
make lawyers believe that the words don't mean the things that they mean. For the sake of brevity, let's ignore the egregious constitutional violations inherent in a court ordering of withdrawal from the state treasury. So with only $3 million left in the state budget, what are they going to defund? What gets cut? Because the judges are going to have to be very specific. I mean, as long as you are going to be taking on the role of the legislature, you're going to have to balance the budget too. You don't just get to, I mean, we can't print money. We're not the Fed. So what are we going to do? How do we fund the $1.7 billion? You can't just say fund it. If you're going to seize the money, you got to say where, where what's getting cut, don't you? Or maybe they can write the ruling to avoid any kind of responsibility for the impact of their ruling. Never underestimate some really motivated lawyers with robes. Will judges order public safety expenditures defunded? Will they raise taxes? Will they cut funding earmarked for the judicial branch? Yeah, maybe maybe that's the way. Maybe you say, you know what? Okay, you told us we have to find the $1.7 billion. Let's go ahead and uh, just take it all from the judicial branch. What could go wrong? Budgeting is a complex endeavor. It requires elected officials to make decisions on competing interests. It's for this reason. The Constitution requires the legislature, comprised of 170 people, elected every two years from all over the state to handle the budget, not judges. And I completely agree. Completely agree. Um, Let's see here. There was something else. Oh, right. The judge that got removed... He said, I didn't even know about it. I wasn't even consulted. He said uh, he did not ask to be removed from the lawsuit. He did not ask to be removed from presiding over the case. Um, he had been presiding over the case since 2016, and his removal has sparked questions and suspicions of political motivations. See, when he gets appointed, there are no suspicions of political motivations. No, no, no. It's only when he gets removed. That's when that happens. We'll get into more of that in a minute. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Programming note at the beginning of the next hour, we're going to talk with a candidate for the Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board, a newcomer to politics, local parent, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, WRAL story by Emily Walkenhorst. It, it says Walkenhorst. That's... Anyway, Superior Court Judge David Lee did not ask to be removed from overseeing the Leandro school funding lawsuit and learned of his replacement Tuesday along with the rest of the world, he told WRAL. Lee, a registered Democrat, has presided over the so-called Leandro education funding lawsuit since 2016. His removal from the case has sparked questions and suspicions of political motivations from those who advocate for a swift resolution to the 28-year-old case. The reason why they want swift resolution is because they're afraid they're not going to have a majority on the courts anymore. Yeah, this... I love I love how this is framed. See, this is, this is what I mean. It must be so nice to be a Democrat and get this kind of narrative amplification just built into the fundamental premises of the stories you cover. 
His removal from the case has sparked questions and suspicions of political motivations from those who advocate for swift resolution. They want a swift resolution because they all agree. And the legislature is not a party to the case. So if they have to go around the Constitution in order to get it done quickly, so be it. To that point, got an email here from Dwight who says the fact that courts can bypass the Constitution only if the governor vetoes the budget is uncanny. I'm old-fashioned in thinking that the Constitution should not be bypassed at all. Yeah. Newby, the chief justice, is a Republican. Paul Newby. He did not provide reasoning for replacing Lee with a new judge, Michael Robinson, also a registered Republican, but left out here is that he was a Cooper appointee as well. Newby can replace judges on his own without the rest of the state Supreme Court and does not need to provide a reason. Oh, so he was acting within the parameters of his authority. Oh, interesting. So there are suspicions about all these things, but he's allowed to do it. Letha or Letha Mohammed, executive director of Education Justice Alliance and an advocate with Every Child NC. See, they don't have any partisan leanings. No, not at all. The group Education Justice Alliance and Every Child NC, completely apolitical, nonpartisan, I'm sure. She's just an advocate for the children. She said, quote, I didn't see any quotes from him that gave any clear reasoning for why he did it so that it, so that it makes you wonder and be real suspicious about what the intent is. We already know that Republican legislators have been upset about Judge Lee's order. Mohammed said, quote, it feels like political shenanigans. Oh, well, as long as it feels like that to you, might as well just put that in the publication. Sure, it's only WRAL. Let's just take that narrative Let it calcify, let it become the truth, right? On Wednesday, a spokesperson for Newby said Lee's removal was because he reached mandatory retirement age. Judges can continue overseeing cases once they reach 72 if they they get emergency judge status. Lee has been an emergency judge since 2016. So that's, what, six years ago? So he's, he's been in emergency status that long? He told WREL he oversaw three cases until this week. He has been removed from overseeing the Leandro case. He's unsure about his role in a second case, and he received a special commission from Newby to be a retired recall judge to continue overseeing the third case. Oh, so he wasn't removed from all the cases. He got to stay on in one of them. And he got replaced in what is the biggest one, the Leandro case. And uh, he gets to, he's unsure about his role in the third case. Lee will be replaced in the Leandro case by Robinson, a business court judge. Newby, newly appointed Robinson, uh, late Monday at the same time the Democrat majority Supreme Court decided to take up the latest appeal in the Leandro case. So let's assume for a moment that Paul Newby is, in fact, engaging in some strate- uh, some strategery, right? Some strategy going on here. Well, what, what could it be? Well, he's on a Supreme Court right now that is Democrat-controlled, 
There's an election coming up. Two of those seats that Democrats have are up for re-election. The other five are not. One of those people running is Sam Irvin, the guy who wrote the opinion about how it's purely the legislature's responsibility to allocate the funding. That guy, he's up for re-election. He's a Democrat. The other Democratic justice is not running again. So that's an open seat. Democrats not looking too good in the midterms. They're very worried they're not going to hold these seats. And so Newby looks at this and says, hmm, they appealed right to the state Supreme Court to take this case up. And it's a 4-3 majority. They're all short timers. The majority, the Democrat majority, is unlikely to exist after the election. Might they get a wild hair to try and do some legislating from the bench? You think they might try to do something like that? I certainly do. Me, Pete, I do. Absolutely. I think they would do that. So how do you guard against them from doing that? How do you make sure that they remain true to the Constitution? How do you make sure that you put some guardrails up for them? You put a different judge on the case. Sounds it's like- been a year of changes for everyone. We've got some parents who say... Oh, that's my... Hang on, this- hang on. That's mine. Yeah, they, yeah. that was my, my laptop. I don't know why that page fired after two hours of being open. But there you go. There's a special place in hell for the person who created the autoplay on the news websites. Just a heads up. So the judge, uh, uh, the chief justice, Paul Newby, they say that the reason why they did this is because Lee has been operating as this emergency judge for years. And it's just his time. He had, he'd been an emergency judge in North Carolina since 2016. He applied to be an emergency judge after he retired, and he got approval from then-Chief Justice Mark Martin. That's how long this is. He, he's been a judge, but he turned 72 years old. On Jan- in January, apparently. And so then he got a call informing him that his role is going to be reviewed because he hit the age cap. So in other words, the normal process. But I'm suspicious.